Hey there, everybody. Welcome to Little Wars. I am your host, Mongoose Kikimura, from the Hobby Hero Hut, out here putting some medium flesh tone from Vallejo's model color range on some 15mm scale 1980s era Soviet VDV. And with me, as always, is my trusty co-host, Jack Karanet. Yo, buddy, still alive? The Hobby Hero Hut is the exact opposite of the cuck shed. Good way of putting it. And joining us as, well, as usual now, is our good friend, friend of the show, uh, oftentimes co-host, and always honest audio guy, John. Yo, buddy, still alive? Hello, not just alive, but I just got back from getting my helicopter's pilot's license. And as an introductory special, I'll be giving free rides over the Atlantic to any train autists. I see he's still a red-pilled ANCAP. <laughs> Some course. things don't change in nearly a month, which is, I'm guessing, what the distance between this and the last episode is going to be. The fires still rage on in my heart, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, what has everybody been up to this week? Uh, John, what have you been up to this week? The only thing I did was play in your role-playing game. Yeah, uh, so, I mean, that, that happened. I mean, we kind of had a, we had two sessions in between, uh, this and the last recording, I believe. One of those was a pretty tense one, and then the other one was kind of a story flattener, like, falling action, I think is the word. <laughs> That's a terrible way to describe. We had an epic gamer moment, a very heated gamer moment, and then we had a cool we had a down. Heated gamer moment. Yeah, that's a professional. Yeah, we had a term. cool down after that. Ooh, yeah. epic gamer moment, you say? Yeah. Yeah, basically Mongoose has spent months autistically creating this intricate world of like politics and intrigue and all this stuff, and then he basically just uh literarily flipped the tables and just like lit the whole campaign on fire. Huh. Yes. Very uh very unexpected and exciting. Okay. I'm glad you think it's unexpected and exciting. I was very worried about it and I still am. <laughs> well, I mean you confided in me and what was, you know, coming, so I, I I kind of had an idea, but I didn't know exactly what it would look like. And uh yeah, no, it was very uh very interesting to see all of those like built up preconceived notions just yanked away in one moment. Yep. Uh so that that all happened. Jack, uh, have you done anything interesting? You painted up any good models recently? Got any good games? Uh, I, I, I have actually painted up a few of the models that are just hanging out on my desk, as you do. Uh, but I'm actually thinking about creating uh, or starting to DM a new game. Specifically, I'm looking at making Edge of the Empire. I'm making an Edge of the Empire role-playing game. I don't know if. Uh, if any of our listeners have heard of this, but I've been Let's digging into it. Let's assume they don't. Yes. Well, I've been I've been digging into it for the last couple of weeks, and it's actually uh, I've I've actually been having quite a bit of fun with it. Um, so yeah, I don't know if you wanted to go into that now or later. Uh yeah. Let's just go into it right now. What is Edge of the Empire for the audience, Jack? Well, uh, Edge of the Empire is is pretty much your boilerplate uh, role playing game. I mean, you know, it's it it has many of the same uh, functions that your that your bog standard D and D game has. Uh, it's got um, 
it, the the center of it, however, has these uh, proprietary uh, uh, dice that Fantasy Flight. By the way, this is a Fantasy Flight game that Fantasy Flight have created, where um, it's essentially it, you know in a in a dice pack you get a bunch of different kinds of dice that any D and D player would recognize. You know, you got your D twelve, you got your D. 8d6, which basically just means that those are 6, 8, 12 sides to them. Uh, and uh, there, there are few, basically everything runs off those. So as long as you get yourself a, uh, a package of dice, um, I'm not exactly sure if you need more than one package since I haven't run a game yet in the system, but I will very soon. Uh, as long as you have these dice, though, and um, it even has a uh, an interesting little table or key in the book where you can use a regular 1 through 8 D8, and, uh, and it has corresponding numbers to what they mean on the, uh, on the dice. So <clears throat> basically, the symbols on the dice are pretty simple. There's a, there's a victory, uh, or not a victory, there's a success uh, symbol, there's a failure symbol, there is a... Uh, uh, advantage and threat. Yeah, advantage and threat. Yeah, I, I I forgot what those were called, but then there's then there's like a like a like a critical success and a critical failure above that. Triumph and despair. Ah, thank you. See, John John knows exactly what I'm what I'm talking. Oh, I love about. this. We were I was looking at this uh, very closely uh, a while ago when I was getting excited to, uh, for next proprietary dice. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was I first started looking at the Legends of the Five Rings dice, and then I started looking at the other Fantasy Flight games and. That spurred a uh, conversation with Mongoose, who is very adamantly against proprietary dice. Oof. <laughs> I believe that it is, uh, it is a form of financial and plastic usury. Says the guy into war games, an entire hobby built around such. Yes, but at least my dice are normal. Instead of technical debt, we're going to call it technical usury. Right? Mm. Is, that the, is that the idea? Yes, but no. The, these dice are—they're uh, very interesting because uh, you have basically you have negative dice and then positive dice, and each of them has three sizes. And the uh, more like that, greater the magnitude of either the good or the bad, the larger the dice, and the more uh, symbols that those dice have for failure—you know—on on the bad side and uh, success on the good side. Uh, but then they also have the advantage and threat on the good and bad side, respectively, which can be like narrative details as well. So you might not get what you want, but you might set something, somebody else up for, you know, success in the future mm. through doing that advantage, or you might improve the quality of a success if you get enough advantages. So there's a lot of, and they, they, the way that you roll them is that they cancel each other out. Right. Uh, so you want to try to accrue more of the positive dice than you do the negative dice, but because it's got that double swinging probability scale, you might, you know, wind up with a success, but still accrue a bunch of threat as a result and have interesting results happen from there. And right. It's just, it's a, it's a pretty cool system. I like it. Well, well, the, the, the thing that I noticed right off the bat was that it was it, it, like, it's very easy to notice if you've succeeded or failed, right? Mm -hmm. Like, like you just count them up in your head and say, ah, oh, I failed or all, oh, you know, I succeeded. And then you count up the advantage or, you know, the, uh, whatever. And, and go off that as well. So mm. I, I, I like that. And I think it's an interesting uh, uh, evolution away from like a roll a d20, add modifiers and subtract 
you know, debuffs and all this other stuff, and you have to consult a table to consider to figure out if you've succeeded or failed. Yeah. Just go play yeah, advanced it's... squad leader. <laughs> no, we're gonna play Edge Vampire, and you can go screw yourself. Yeah, that's well, I'm right. saying if you wanna if you wanna do that as your core resolution system, play oh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. play advanced squad leader. I mean, well, he's re- he's even referring to Dungeons and Dragons. It's like it's the constant D twenty five percent per number. Add your modifier. You know, it's and it's yeah, it works, but it's just very basic and. I'm not saying that the Fantasy Flight game style of proprietary dice is necessary, but it can reinforce the themes of the game through thematically appropriate symbols and implications from the uh, advantage and threat and whatnot. And, I mean, hey, if it does that and uh, you're willing to plop down the, what, seven or eight bucks for a pack of dice, or if you're doing it online, they've got uh, free bots that can do the dice rolling for you. So, I mean, it's not that high of of a barrier to entry no um i would i would say a lot of the problems with D's inherent system with that sort of gradation kind of don't necessarily come from uh like narrative dissonance with the dice it comes from the the way the mechanics themselves are, are functioned like the uh, i think the best example of this is armor class which is a it's a blanket number that describes too many things that don't interact realistically in the same way so it creates a sort of uh thematic and um, mechanical dissonance that's very obvious to a player when i roll to hit an opponent with a with an arrow um and i have to score above his his armor uh which is which is contributed to by his um his plate armor and his internal toughness to hurt him that in order to hit and not to do damage it, it it's not intuitive his armor should subst- should subtract from the damage in theory yeah but it it doesn't even matter because losing hit points is not an injury you're not actually wounded until you get down to 0 hp that's why there's no wound penalties right except it's... then cure light wounds gives you back hp for the wound you didn't take because you weren't at 0 hp Right. The thing about HP as a system is it's it's intrinsically wargamish. Uh wargames will in fact actually it's not it's it's squad it's more like something that you would see out of a squad-based wargame where guys will take damage but it won't necessarily uh equate to their skills being removed over time because you'll abstract those things out cuz you'll have a lot of guys on the table usually. Yeah. Or at least that's how it was with these older war games. Now modern war games you'll have systems where even in like 40k 6th edition, which is the worst edition of 40k, which is saying a lot, uh they had this system yeah. for vehicles called hull points and when you took damage on your vehicles there were chances that like oh they'd be immobilized or one of their guns would get disabled or something like that. So you could have these um uh, so as you were taking damage, there was an option, or there was a chance that you would continue to degrade in quality over time. Um, there, there really isn't that with D and D, unless you have a game master who is willing to modify the rules quite heavily. But even then, there are games that cover that sort of a penalty system much more elegantly and simplistically. Like uh, Savage Worlds is an example of a game that pretty easily handles that. Uh, just with Shadow penalties. Realm too. Yep. Yep. Uh, so there, there are better ways of doing that. Uh, the, and again, it's that sort of dissonance between mechanics and narratives that makes D&D, in my opinion, such a bad game. Well, and, and uh, 
the one the other thing I noticed about this game too that uh that I really like and that I really hate from D and D is that uh D and D has like a very war gameish uh attitude towards things. Of so course. so it it actually behooves you if you are playing it to use miniatures because you know it 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 descri- you, you can't abstract things very well in this game it it actually has a level of abstraction that you can use to that where you don't need miniatures at all yeah yeah i'd say that is actually a weaker thing about some uh board games that that try to do this like the old warhammer 40k role playing games also kind of fell into this pitfall where they're uh their combat rules almost necessitated the use of miniatures. Um, yeah. And that kind of makes sense for a 40k tie-in because your target audience is the 40k fan base who presumably are into those sorts of miniatures. And so they'd use these games as like a way to get someone to buy some miniatures to play the game. And then, oh, what do you know? Like, you know, here you are. You got all these 40k minis later. Oops. Didn't mean <laughs> for that to happen. Well, I mean, I mean... G- but but going at it from the other way, like a game like Death Watch, I I think I think is great to target the 40k, like just like as a niche game to target the 40k community because they already have all these miniatures that they use, right? Oh yeah, Looking... no. If you have Space Marine minis, Death Watch is an easy like if you and your buddies yeah. like have every like you and your buddies can count on reasonably having every flavor of Space Marines in between you, so you'll have enough miniatures for like uh, you know your basic Death Watch team. But but what I'm what I'm getting at though is that it's kind of like a it's kind of a big investment if you're just looking at it from the outside and it's like uh I need to buy these things and paint them up to, to or play you can just game. do the you can just do the modern approach and just get on roll twenty and use some uh, <laughs> PNG one hundred by one hundred icons for free. <laughs> the um the thing I usually saw with uh, Death Watch in particular is they'd sell little packages of Death... Like I think they're like five Death Watch guys on a sprue, and you mm-hmm. could kit them up how you wanted. Um, and what you normally see is you'd see a guy who's into uh, 40k, and he would buy the Death Watch kit, and then he would uh, assemble it, and then he would invite his buddies to play, and they would play with the Death Watch miniatures, and then like they'd get drawn in with it. Like It was, ne- it was never like a bunch of people... And none of them were into 40k would go and buy the miniatures. It normally was like a way for one guy or a couple guys to drag their friend group in. Or uh, GW stores would actually uh, sponsor Death Watch groups and things uh, to try to get them into playing the game themselves. I love how we start off talking about Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> and Star Wars. Yeah. And you assholes <laughs> invariably drag the well, conversation back to 40k. I don't, that, think, that's I don't pro- think it's my fault this time. But. <laughs> well, it, it isn't, but it's also worth noting that, uh, what is it, um, Edge of Empire is a Star Wars role-playing game published by Fantasy Flight. These Warhammer games are also published by Fantasy Flight, uh, and 40K's market dominance in almost everything makes it an, a nearly impossible subject to avoid. That's <laughs> true. We were talking about Dungeons and Dragons. That's even more of a market dominance for role-playing games. You were the one who shoehorned 40k into this. <laughs> well, you this. were talking about the lack of uh, the lack of uh, oh. degradation during wounds, and I brought up Sixth Edition as a uh, as an example. Yeah, as yes, an example. did that well, and you know I was right. <laughs> well, so so segueing from that wounds, what I have noticed about Edge of Empires though is that it's kind of got they it, it, it kind of broke it up into two ish 
where where you have strains and wounds, right? So so you have a strain limit, which uh, I do not like the name strain. That yeah, sounds... it's kind of a goofy. Thing. I'm like imagining my strainer in the kitchen cooking mac and cheese. <laughs> I was thinking more like strains of diseases. So you've got like a a strain of AIDS, and then that gives you wounds. Like, is that how that works? Yes. You got like my boomer boss like strain the muscle picking something up. Well, I have a better question. So when Kylo Ren in that new Star Wars <laughs> movie got shot by that uh, Wookiee gun thing that that Wookiee crossbow, <laughs> bowcaster, and, and then allowed um and it allowed uh the uh the the weird girl that never closes her mouth to like out him Sue. in a uh in a sor- in a samurai battle was that a ra- did he was he suffering a wound or a strain on his side? That would be both. Oh, that would be both wounds and strains. So, so a strain is something. So, so if you get to zero strain, you get knocked out, right? And so, or or you know, incapacitated. In oh, some so, way. so this is like analogous to fatigue in the savage run, uh, in the savage world system. This is yeah. yeah th- this yeah. is shatter runs like stun versus physical damage. Yes, or D and D's non lethal hit points. Well, uh, which are also kinda. dumb and fake and gay. Wait, D and D has non-lethal hit points. I've never heard of this. Yeah, D and D has non-lethal damage, and if you take us, you can take up to your hit points and non-lethal damage before you get knocked out. I think, <laughs> but it doesn't. It doesn't use it though. Like, like yeah, in in actuality. Well, nobody uses non-lethal damage in D and D because that's just the way D and D is played. But in but in this game though, so so generally speaking, if 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 I've read this correctly, and John can can uh, can correct me if I'm wrong, but you basically have every turn, which which you take turns. There's initiative, and then you know everyone takes turns. Uh, you have an action and a maneuver, and and they're they're defined very specifically. Like like an action is is uh, you know running, jumping doing 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 something physical and then a maneuver can be something like taking time to to unlock a door or um, or aiming your weapon or aiming or your guard, weapon. protecting yourself yeah and and during this though you can spend two strain in order to take an extra maneuver during your turn yeah it's kind of like it's kind of like stress on your nerves or your your mental focus or whatever right right so i think i think that's rather interesting and you can always downgrade your action into a maneuver but you can never take more than two maneuvers per turn i kind of feel like they just called it strain because they didn't want to copy fates calling it stress yes or fatigue or whatever yeah but like stress would be such a better name (laughs) yeah yeah i don't i don't know yeah Uh, so but copyright law says otherwise unfortunately (laughs) Also, also, if you set your phaser to stun, that deals strain damage. That deals a lot of strain damage. <laughs> Wait, why don't you just set your phaser to strain? <laughs> your phaser? Is, is the, isn't this Star Wars? Well, yeah, but there are stun guns in Star Wars. Yeah. Didn't General Grievous's bodyguards have those sticks with electricity on them and they could tase people? They actually had that in the old uh, Star Wars movies. I think in episode yeah. four where like Leia sets her, her, la- her blaster to... Uh, Stun! It shoots like this blue circle at a stormtrooper and just like knocks it was, him over. It was. It was. Oh, the yeah, first, that was, it like was the, the first beginning. Movie. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the first movie. The stormtroopers like set it to stun, and then they stun Leia. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. 
And then they never used it ever again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This is this is the one stormtrooper that not only could hit things, but could turn his his rifle like into a different setting. (laughs) Well, if we're if we're looking at the uh, the first movie entirely honestly, there was a lot of stuff in that movie that like nobody when they watched it for the first time thought that it was actually like what it got expanded into later in the uh, in the setting, like. You know, the Clone Wars had ended, like, what was it, like, a decade prior, or was it 20 years ago? And I think it was, like, 30 yeah. years before. I yeah, believe. something like that. No, that would that would make Luke 30 by the time Episode 4 uh, happens, yeah. because yeah, I think like, I think Luke was, like, 24 or 25, right? Yeah, and he was, like, a baby yeah, at the right. end of Episode 3, which is, like, the end of the Clone Wars. Right. What was really, what was really annoying was that there weren't Clone Wars. There was just a Clone War that happened. Yeah. Well, it, it was a big set of battles that were like the wars of the clone. I, I don't know. It's weird. Like it doesn't. It, it seems very shoehorned to me. Like I think that a lot of the speculation as to what the Clone Wars were before everybody said what they were. I think that was a lot. Uh, it was a lot more interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> you can't really accuse Lucas of like not planning the prequels because he didn't plan episodes five and six. Like it was supposed to be one movie, and that was it. And then it like got expanded into a trilogy. Then it got expanded into sex sexology. What do you even call it when there's six movies? Two what do you trilogies? call it when there's nine a- movies? Dilology. An orgy. Oh. <laughs> no. Ner- the um, nerd orgy. The. Uh, <laughs> I think what it really is is more of an indictment on our practice of franchising out uh, movies and th- individual movies and things rather than it is like an indictment of Lucas or the setting itself. Well, yeah. So you're telling me that the real, that, that the, the culprits of this whole thing are our Hebrew friends? That we... um, maybe. Maybe it's maybe. just okay. capitalism or some nebulous force that we can't identify. <laughs> like... Like it surrounds just, us, penetrates us, bad. <laughs> it binds the economy together. Yes, yes, there you go. Bad individuals, individuals who individually make bad individual decisions that have bad repercussions for other individuals, and there's nothing involved on a macro scale or a system, okay? Okay? <laughs> just making this clear. <laughs> I'm just imagining Luke flying his, like, privately funded x-wing through the death star and hearing obi-wan's voice saying use the ancap lu use the law of supply and demand luke use the law of supply and demand he like puts away his little uh his like pre-planned economy his, his, graph he, and he puts he puts away his his mic targeter and he um <laughs> <laughs> which only costs like two dollars yeah. Fires off a couple McNukes into the star. Yeah. <laughs> into the Death Star. Although, technically speaking, weren't the rebels privately funded anyway? Like Yeah, no, they were they were full on and prim and cap I don't even know. Uh, the best were. part of the Star Wars expanded universe is that the guy on the little uh watchtower uh that they fly past as they leave. Um on Gavin? On Yavin, yeah, that guy. Yavin, yeah. Apparently, right. he doesn't. He has to go to the bathroom off the side of the little tower. That's in a book. <laughs> well, I mean, you're in the jungle. <laughs> At that point, when you're in the jungle like that, you just call it watering the trees. <laughs> uh, yeah, we we could go really deep into like <laughs> the Star Wars expanded lore and what parts of it are funny and what part of it's of it are just bad. 
Like ba- va- Darth Vader's suit was was bad because <laughs> of budget cuts. <laughs> yeah, they made it intentionally bad. And, and we're not talking about in the movies. Them. We're talking like budget cuts by the Galactic yeah, Empire. Yeah, the Empire. Yeah, the, the Empire itself had budget cuts. Yes. Then they had to make the suit crappy on purpose. But MMT would tell us that you know, or modern monetary theory, they could just make more credits. <laughs> Actually, I don't know. Was is credits like a cryptocurrency? Are they, are they crypto? They're like little bars of something, aren't they? They're yeah, like no, they're made out they're, of like they're essentially a cryptocurrency. I think. Yeah, they're a cryptocurrency, dude. Yeah. Oh, like the the physical coins are like data chips that hold a portion of the cryptocurrency. Yeah. Ah. Uh, Listen, kid. I've thrown flown from one side of this economy to the other. I've seen a lot of strange stuff. But I ain't never seen anything that makes me believe there's all one all powerful Jew controlling everything. There's no myst- <laughs> there's no mystical Hebrew religion that controls my destiny. It's like, it's like a sin of the force is Kabbalah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean Is that technically the, the wrong? sacred Jewish texts? <laughs> <laughs> oh no! The Pentateuch! The Talmud! The Talmud! The Kabbalah, the sacred texts! <laughs> this Kabbalah of yours has not allowed us to conjure up the data plans. Wait a second, Yoda. Yoda is a short, goblin-like creature. <laughs> but Yoda Yoda directly advocates like not reading the sacred texts. He's like, mm, boring they were. Mm, foreskin you have, yes? <laughs> oh my god, Jack... What the fuck are you doing? Ketamine, <laughs> mm, I must use. Lethal <laughs> oh, no. doses, I must take. <laughs> We've gone into Zoomer posting. Right. Mm, left me, my wife has. <laughs> so, ketamine right. and play Minecraft, I must. Try to forget <laughs> my wife and kids, I shall. Okay, all right. I'm, I am putting the brakes on fun. Please stop. Yes, let's let's put the brakes on fun. No, I mean, I mean, ultimately, this the system seems really, really interesting. I haven't really delved too far into uh, flying a ship and all that nonsense, but it it seems pretty easy as well. I don't know if you have any uh, anything to add to that, John. Um, I read a little bit of the uh, the space stuff. Uh. Not a not a whole lot. It does seem like, um, to some degree, that it's based on GM fiat in terms of like assigning the difficulty of the terrain that you're flying through, um, which is interesting. I, I mean, I, I always like that when a, the GM has more direct control over, like, you know, hey, if you try to go into here, this is going to be a hard location, and they've got a, they do have a lot of tables for in terms of like the outcomes of uh like critical hits and uh critical fails and like that kind of stuff. Oh, do they have critical hit tables? Yes, they do. Oh, do yes. they involve people's uh mar- bone marrow being boiled into like uh grenades? Uh kind of. Uh, well, I'm looking at the the ship one specifically, but oh. they've got like d- based on the severity of the critical hit, they've got uh you know, like different systems can be destroyed, uh some Pretty serious stuff can happen, and then towards the upper end of the table, it's just vaporized. You're just gone. <laughs> Sounds like the Dark Heresy critical hit tables, which were some of the greatest of all time. Yeah, but but it's also much smaller though, and and it's Ooh. not it's not really it, you don't really roll to figure out what what you've uh, you've done. Like like the GM just chooses one based on how many fails or successes. 
uh, has occurred. Well, they do have a they do have a chart that you can roll on. Oh, like really? Roll a d100. Oh. Yeah. Oh, so you yeah, can roll yeah, it yeah. There is a d1, but and and there's also more. There's also uh, above like a d100 too. Have you noticed that there's like it's like a d150. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think you add, uh, add the damage done or something along those lines. To yeah, make a there's roll. there are charts like that in Dark Heresy where you add something onto it and you roll a d100, so you can go up to like 150 or 200. Yeah. Oh, here you go. Okay, yeah. Any additional critical hits generated against it add plus ten to the roll per existing critical hit. So, like, the more hits you take, the higher you're gonna get until eventually you just your ship falls apart. Or yeah, the the aforementioned vaporized. You're just gone. <laughs> like yeah, that's at 154. So you'd have to get like six critical hits before that's even a possibility. Right. You. you so that is you, that is nice. You flew into the Death Star's like planet destroying beam. Poof. You're gone. Yeah. But I, I like it because it does basically add like a limit to the amount of damage, serious damage that you can take uh, before your ship is just like rolling too high on this damage thing that eventually you're just going to blow up. So like it adds like a, a kind of a stress timer, like a tension meter to the uh, ship combat. That is pretty cool. It gives it some serious, uh, serious danger, but it also doesn't uh, necessarily risk you blowing up on the first uh, shot because you know, as long as you, you've only taken one critical hit, there aren't any results that can kill you instantly. Hmm. So it's a nice, uh, nice little system. I like it. Yeah. It's almost as if the ship is like a, is like a character kind of yeah. sort of yeah they all have their own stats their own uh their own gear equipment and their own uh tracking their health and whatnot so yeah you could do an entire uh starfighter focused campaign in this mm -hmm. yeah that's that's what i'm that's what i'm thinking is that maybe uh if it you know if the crew if the group didn't have just one freighter they could all have like warp capable like little fighters well, what would be cool is you have a single freighter, which is like you got the pilot and then you've got like a gunner, maybe two gunners, something like that. And then yeah. the rest of the people are in like escort fighters. Yeah. Yeah. and they're. I like that idea. Yeah. With like astromech droids. You can You can do that if you have nice and cooperative players, but we're like oftentimes you'll get guys who are just like, no, I'm going to split off from the group arbitrarily because you've given me something that allows me to transport myself easily. I'm always very hesitant to give players like very, very, very effective means of fast travel right off the bat because I don't trust them. Oh, that's that's the other thing is that the the hyperspace travel is actually is actually a thing in this game. Like, like it, the, well, yeah, th yeah, there is actually a question whether or not you will get to the destination that you're trying to get to based on mm. your roles, based on your success or failure. That's kind of interesting. Yeah, but to uh, go back to Mongoose's hesitation there, yeah. I think that's very easily solved. You just have tell the characters the premise to which they are building their characters and then make sure you have a session zero and have them all work on their characters together in such a way that their characters would be team players. And if the one guy makes the guy who's like, I'm, I'm chasing down my family's killer and I have no reason to work with the rest of you. You just say, all right, well, he chases them off and leaves. Let's work on your second character now. That sounds somewhat, somewhat familiar. <laughs> hmm. really? I was not referencing anything in particular. I disavow any references to real life people. <laughs> yes, we aren't actually talking about anything that's real in the slightest. No, Nothing on this podcast is real. We aren't even real people. This is an AI experiment. O only only a fool would take us seriously. 
Okay, I was being hypothetical. I was not referencing anything in particular. But anyway, um, no, I mean, just have just make sure that you tell the guy, the group, your character needs to be invested in this purpose. Then you not only give them the means of transportation, you also give them a home base and allow them to shape it in such a way as that they start to get invested in it through their own inputs. Hmm. Then you tell them, you have to come back here to get your, your your supplies. Now, your system needs to have the, the ability to track that, right? Like, you need fuel, you need a resupply on ammo, you need repairs. You can get those three things here. If you go somewhere else, you might be able to find them, but you'll have to pay for it or pay significantly more for it. You also might be at risk for doing so, and you might not be able to find what you need or you might get betrayed or something along those lines if you just wander off and go somewhere else. So through a series of incentives, there's that... There's that mm-hmm. iron cap. Yep. There's that libertarian. Everything fire. works off of incentives, right? Exactly. You can incentivize them to do the team playing thing and to come back to the the central base, where they're they're not just like oh, I'm bored. I'm gonna go wander off somewhere else for you know for something for adventure whatever. Yes. Okay. I'm glad <laughs> we all agree with me. <laughs> yeah. So I I. Yeah, it, it, this looks this looks rather interesting, and the fact that you can be a droid too, like you know, you, oh. you can uh, you can basically be an astromech droid. You could be BB-8, John. I'm not gonna lie, that sounds hideously boring. That sounds incredibly <laughs> BB-8. That sounds cursed. What is that? <laughs> you don't know, know bb 8s the little ball droid yeah, with the head floating on top. Whoa, I didn't know that. I know that they got those porgs. Can you eat this, a porg? Can we? Can you this, make the game about like genociding the porgs? This this zoomer no. hasn't seen any of the new Star Wars. I do. I just don't remember anything out of them. <laughs> he was high on ketamine for the whole movie. <laughs> That's right. High on ketamine, I was. Escape exactly. the horrible writing. I must. <laughs> yeah. Any. Left me. Anyway. The writers have destroyed my franchise. I don't know, man. I they can't... must. Would you stop with the Yoda? <laughs> <laughs> Damn it! You've already done anger. the Yoda bit. The way of the Jedi is not. Oh. <laughs> Why is this? All right. Mm, do not let your anger control you. <laughs> oh no! I'm pretty sure it controls John. It does right now, Yoda. It's your fault. All right. Okay. Oh. So yeah. So that's the way of that's the dark side. That is. That's what I've been working on this week. I'm going to shove your face in the dark side <laughs> if you don't shut up. <laughs> All right. Oh, um, good. So that's Star Wars. Um, Great. Yes. Yeah. Let's stop talking about Star Wars so Mongoose stops doing his Yoda. Oh, stop talking about 40K. <laughs> stop talking about Star Wars. Jeez. I guess just stop talking to Mongoose, I guess. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I don't know yeah, there you go. Yet. Little Wars is canceled, guys. Um, Little Wars canceled. We, we figured hiatus. it out. Uh, I'm, I'm not, you're not supposed to talk to me anymore. I'm just signing off the internet. Bye, everybody. All right. Bye. Okay, forever. Bye. No. Goodbye. Well, do your bit on hobby heroism at first, and then then you can go. Well, I'm just I'm just painting dudes. I got like a got like 125 1980s era Soviet infantry. I get a paint. You had the perfect meme number. Why didn't you say 100 120 guys? Uh, because I know the exact number. <laughs> actually, you were counting that. You were having some difficulty with that the other day. Yeah, I, I um I actually did go and figure out the exact number. It is uh it's 125 guys. That is a lot of dudes.
It is. Um, I've got, so I'm doing a, a Team Yankee force, the Soviet Union, and uh, the force I'm doing is uh, I've got VDV, so the idea is basically I'm, I'm doing uh, guys that were dropped in with helicopters, and that's the entire thing. So I actually, um, I actually had to do a significant amount of research, more so than normal, to really get a paint scheme down. Because there was a lot of, uh, there's a lot to be desired in terms of actual good resources for advising you on how to paint anything from that time period. Because everything was so, like, non-standard. Well, not necessarily non-standard, but just not well documented. Um, so I went back and I went to uh, some classic... Uh, some classic movies like Ninth Company, and I went back to uh, the old, uh, just looking at pictures of stuff from the uh, Chechen Wars, um, and I was able to kind of construct what a uh, 1980s era uniform might have looked like on average after a while in combat, based on those uh, based on those sources. So I've um, I've settled on a and it's some mixed normal khaki and some. Uh, some patterned camouflage for my guys and that's going to be that's all going to be very nice and good so uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to actually finishing them but as of right now it's it's just the grind per usual you know and so that's what I've been up to this week I've also got in the backlog 10 T-64s, two BMP-2s, two Hind-Ds and, uh, and a platoon of Italian infantry for World War II which I have. How long is it going to take you to do all of that? Uh, I think I can have these infantry done in like the next week and a half. The tanks will go significantly faster. That's like a three-day job. Wow, okay. Yeah. Tanks are easy normally because it's like one color, green, with some details. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. How detailed are you on the infantry? Yeah. Uh, I, I, tend to, I tend to try to be fairly detailed the nice thing about the soviet infantry though is that they these guys are uh they're pretty much all khaki like every everything they issued them was made out of the same cloth so there's not a whole lot of different colors other than maybe helmets weapons one strap is different colored and then that's it in terms of like different colors they got black boots khaki everything else one brown strap uh their ak which i'm doing black polymer for, as opposed to the orange polymer that everyone is used to seeing because they started issuing black polymer in 1985 and I decided to go with that because I'm feeling a little bit lazy and also I wanted to have a more unique looking force. Um, and then you also have your uh, epaulets and patches which are going to be in my case light blue. So not, not a whole lot of colors. Um, the problem is, is just the sheer number. How tiny are those patches and straps though? Yeah, they're pretty tiny. Right? Uh, they're like really tiny like the the patch itself is like a millimeter long hmm okay and it, it's actually sculpted onto the model so you know you can color it like how do you do that do you dip a like a needle into some paint and then get like a droplet on the tip and no you use some uh, you use some a little bit what i normally do is i use a little bit of drier paint as opposed to thinned down paint mm. i dab it on there very carefully so i have a you lot can more do, control you can do that though you could you can use uh, uh, needles to do that. Oh, I thought I was joking. Oh, I've tried that before, and I uh, I've I've found that to be inadequate unless I was 
really trying to get like some really really monstrously detailed camouflage. <laughs> hmm. I tried to do some uh, splinter camouflage for some Germans actually that way, and it just didn't work out. Really? No. Well, uh, are, have you have you considered uh, shading, like uh... throwing shade? Oh, I I'll, you can't you cannot use uh you can't play or not you can't paint fifteen millimeter models if you're not going to wash them heavily. It's like the only good reliable way to get uh um the recesses to be reliably dark. Okay. Um, especially if you're not a uh, not a really 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 good painter, but no washes really heavily used at this scale even more so than at a uh, higher scale like warhammer have you have you considered using uh are, well i mean are you going to be using dry brushing as well like wash and then dry brush uh that see that's difficult is because what you do is you normally highlight there's very little dry brushing actually to the infantry because there's not much space on them for that for it if that makes any sense yeah that makes sense the rough course movements would get paint everywhere, and it's just poor, uh, poor form usually. You could theoretically do some sort of neutral dry brush and dry brush the whole the whole model like that, like very lightly, just to bring out the um, just to bring out the raised areas a little bit. But I don't know. I don't paint fifteen. You normally do your highlighting uh, in a very brighter, much brighter tone, which helps. Yeah. Uh, I've seen some people do 15 millimeter models in the exact colors they're supposed to be at like one to one scale, and they look atrocious. Um, and the reason being is that a, a 15 millimeter model, because it's so small, it doesn't reflect as much light, so you have to uh, you have to make it pop out uh, to make it instantaneously recognizable and nice looking, as opposed to just simply. Uh, accurate color accuracy is not exactly what you're going for on the scale like camouflage is actually very difficult like at the 40k scale you can try to emulate actual camouflage patterns like a 28 millimeter but at 15 millimeter you have to give the impression of the camouflage rather than actually doing the actual camouflage pattern that's a very good point i haven't really done much at that scale honestly but it sounds like it sounds like there are definitely different rules for for which colors you use and how you can bring them out it is very different um i tried to go back and do some 28 millimeter models and it's just a world of difference they looked almost too bright <laughs> if that makes any sense yeah yeah you definitely want some more subdued colors the the larger your model gets I think it also didn't a, help. I was trying to do guardsmen, and I was doing the armor in a, a German uh, splinter pattern, and that is a reddish brown and a green on top of a tan. And I have color uh, blindness, so I, that that's a very difficult pattern for me to do. And it always looks like garbage to me when I'm finished with it. I mean, I mean, you can like the, the, there are certain methods in order to try to wash away, like like use a wash to try and like. Um, meld the colors together a little bit more and uh and dry brushing at that scale like if you if you put if you put several colors together that you know don't really work well on on the color wheel you can you can do a lot with uh just uh dry brushing what first wash then dry brush then try to put a few like 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 look at it 
and and if you see something that looks weird or out of place you can try and cover it over with maybe like a like a scar or a scratch or something like that i found that to be pretty effective at 28 millimeters that seems like it's more effective scars and scratches aren't easy to do at a 15 mil yeah that sounds unless like they're it. on vehicles and even then it's it's a little iffy yeah, there there are some pretty good uh, uh, tutorials on how to do like like if you have a tank, if if you want to make like bullet holes or something, or uh, I I found I found one tutorial where they just drilled into into their I think it was for a predator and uh, they they drilled holes into the predator and made little uh and and actually actually made pretty good highlights for those holes so they looked like bullet holes, but. One of the uh, one of the tactics that a lot of guys back in the day with model airplanes would do is if you wanted holes in the wings, you would heat up a paperclip really hard and then melt it through the plastic. Oh, that's a good idea too. Yeah, I've done that before on occasion, and when I wanted bullet holes, I've heated things up and pushed them through things. Uh, that's another that's another good tip is if you have a really fragile component in a sprue, try just taking like a bic lighter and heating up your uh, your blade or your clippers before you go through it just to kind of melt it yeah yeah like it sounds like a horrendously bad idea but it works really well yeah i agree with that although i haven't actually done it so maybe i shouldn't <laughs> talk about things that i haven't done before. i agree with the idea of that <laughs> i agree with the idea yeah yeah. Also, uh, a, a good a good suggestion if you want to make some possessed units uh, for your Chaos Space Marines is to just take a take a regular Marine and and take like a I don't know like a like a hot glue gun and heat it up really high and and melt the Marine with the glue gun and just attach a few more arms to it. <laughs> Dude, I. I used to do that with my uh, little green army men for yes. like, the scenes where like the flamethrower guy is like standing there <laughs> over the guy, the guy, like the crawling guy, flip him on his back, melt his arms. <laughs> I, I was, um, I was always too concerned with the actual uh, pristineness of my army men to ever mess with them in that way. Well, we did a couple of like panoramics, like with terrain and whatnot, and like set the people there. So there was a couple, uh, I think we actually, I think it was, I think it was a birthday cake for my brother, come to think of it. With like little red icing for the blood on the guys. Oh, jeez, <laughs> That's, that's hilariously <laughs> gruesome. Oh, it's just green. It's just aren't army, man. It wasn't a big deal. I Did know. you play a game on top of the birthday cake and roll <laughs> dice? Yeah, we had to pull out the firing arc uh, protractor and then there get the go, move yeah. templates. And yeah, <laughs> the cake was inedible by the time we were done. Well, that that does sound like sixth edition Warhammer. <laughs> Inedible, unfun. <laughs> Please do not eat your gaming table. Speaking of things that are inedible and unfun, oh. John. Yeah. So, uh, Jack, when you start up this new role playing game, are you planning on instituting any mandatory safety tools? Uh. Because, you know, role-playing is a dangerous hobby. You need proper safety tools. Yeah, the last time I played sure? D&D, I almost died. Admittedly, it was of alcohol poisoning. 
That's uh, that's not going to be helped by these safety tools, my dude. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I I, I got drunk, but uh, not not nowhere near like blackout. Um, All right. Well, to get this off of your dysfunction and onto Jack's future game. Yes, please. T- t- <laughs> tell me, tell me about these. Tell me about these safety tools. Okay. So basically, safety tools are something that is extremely Reddit and Tumblr that has been introduced to the role playing game hobby. And it's because uh, these gosh darn kids these days can't just speak their minds when they have a problem. So if they encounter uh, content or uh, role playing or scenarios or whatever that makes them uncomfortable, they need specific tools given to them because they can't just speak up and say, hey, yo, this isn't cool. If I may, I can somewhat see the utility in like a group of friends that are, um, you know, maybe they're all kind of socially awkward. Maybe they can communally come up with between themselves. Uh, they can come up with a uh, a way of like dis- expressing discomfort with something if somebody's going too far, you know, as opposed to letting it simmer. Like I can see the usefulness in that. Like maybe something that's like less explicit than saying, "Hey guys, I'm really, really uncomfortable with this, 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 and this," you know, like some kind of keyword. So you're in favor of safety tools. I'm not in okay. favor of safety tools in like the in the abstract. I think in a limited context they have their uses, but it really is on a it's like a something you'd have to actually talk with your friends about prior to and it really is only something you'd need if you're playing with a bunch of group of like really hyper autistic spastics like most of us were in high school. So as an adult, I don't think it'd be useful. This kind of sounds like a product that the intergalactic banking clan is trying to sell me. Please continue. <laughs> <laughs> I mean it's not there's nothing to buy. It's um so all right, I'll just go through a couple examples here and then we'll get back to whether or not Mongoose thinks he'd like to institute these in his next game. So, we've got the X card, which I believe was the original one. I'm not sure about that, but I believe the X card was the first one that was introduced. You and... press the X card if there aren't enough triple X scenes with cat girls in them, apparently, right? <laughs> That's is right that next it? to the N card, I believe. If somebody's stealing something, yeah. Uh, which is next to the N word pass, which is also used when someone is stealing. There's something. only one of those per table, though, and it gets passed around based on who's doing the best role playing. They get one N word pass. Wait, wait. Should we? Should we? Should we make our own uh, safety toolkit, toolbox, almost as it were? Well, let me go over these darn tools so we can okay, see what please, we want to pick and choose. Yes. So the X card is everyone gets handed out an index card, and it has like an, an X drawn on it in some kind of thick marker. And at any time, if somebody feels uncomfortable, they have this X card sitting in front of them, and they can just reach out and tap on the X card. And should they do so, the game master or other players have to change the content or dial it back or skip the scene or stop whatever they were previously doing because that person wasn't comfortable. And the point of it is to create a safe and inclusive environment for gamers. Now, the X card is pretty safe, but it's not safe enough. So the other people have come up with Wait, other... John, just if we may about the X card. I think the X card is a great idea if you were to play with those sorts of people because Lord knows they'd be doing some weird sex shit or weird sex stuff. And I, uh, I think it'd be fun to play with a bunch of Redditors just to tap it every time they try to do something. 
and just be like what just be like what now what now we should we should call it the magical realm card so well that... any well see the thing is is like someone would be like oh i'm gonna go be a be a, like a, a like gender queer whatever in the in the bar with the whatever and you just like tap the x card and stare at them aggressively and no and just be like this 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 is too sexual for me. Like you could very clearly like, cause everything about these people's like inclusive ideology is about sex stuff. So you could just become a prude and just be like, I was sexually molested. And then, uh, I just don't feel comfortable with this. Stop. They can't do okay, anything well, to you. This is malicious compliance. I yes. want malicious destruction. Just flip the table over and be like, I'm not doing X cards. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing this. All right. So the X card is uh, is very binary. You're either tapping the X card or you're not. So other people developed other techniques for non-binary people. So yeah, I was for about to say this is non-binary. Binary. Oh yes, for non-binary people. <laughs> so there's uh, cut and break, and uh, that's uh, you shout the word, use the word cut. It's like your safety word. Use the word cut if you need to uh, to pause things or to, no, that's to end a scene. That's right. And then use the word break if you need to, if you want people to dial it back. Keep going, but just dial it back a bit. Uh, de-escalate things. Now, don't don't get this confused for like cut yourself and break and your break own your neck. bones. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> like with the hot topic crowd that's using this, you don't know. Oh well. Oh, you want to know what crowd was using this? You want to know what crowd came up with this, mongers? R slash RPGs. The Nordic LARP community. What? The Nordic LARP community developed cut and slash or cut and break. Often so, hailed. <laughs> Check. Hail Woden. In the original, uh, in the original Nordic, I guess it's cut, cut and brems. So now you know what to shout if a uh, if if Varg comes at you with a foam greatsword. Cut, <laughs> cut, cut. Brems. <laughs> All right. So uh, after that, there's lines and veils, and uh, line is something that you set up ahead of time. You write these down ahead of time. Uh, line is a hard limit you don't want to pass, and a veil is content that you want to fade to black. Uh, so that can um, include violence or sexual content or whatever. Isn't that just like sitting down with everybody and like explicitly telling them what your expectations for the game are? You don't. Isn't you don't. That just you like don't understand. Mongers. Pretentious way of like phrasing that. <laughs> yes. No. This is them telling you what their needs are. This is your players dictating. To well, you. I mean, reasonably, if you're if we're gonna sit down as a group and we're gonna say, okay, let's set set up some standards for the game. You know, everyone can have input, right? Like in theory, this is just a really stupid way of doing it. Well, it's codifying these things for people who lack the backbone to come up with it on their own. Well, it's, it's also like an extremely explicit codification of something that doesn't need to be explicitly codified. You can yeah. just talk about it, and then once you have the standards, like you've said them once, or at least have kind of gone over them, everyone can kind of understand that, right? Like, I don't do like a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of like, you know, uh, conjugal relationships and stuff in my stuff, because I don't want to talk about that because it's awkward and weird. Yes, um, I know. Would you let me finish reading these, or this is going to take forever? <laughs> it uh, is going to take forever. It's good I know. content. I know. There's three. Well, <laughs> I wanted to get through them and then talk about All right. There's three more. 
Uh, open door, open door policy means that a player can leave the game table at any time with no questions asked and no social pressure to stay at the table. So, so you could you could just get up and leave whenever you want. Yeah, just just like nah, screw this, I'm out. <laughs> nah, the GM will just run the game continuously, and you come in and play, and you leave as you please, as you get uncomfortable. Yeah. Well, the weird thing is, it's like, why would you need a specific policy to let you walk away from an activity that a voluntary activity that you're participating in? Why do you need someone to tell you you're allowed to not <laughs> stay here? Like, it's so insane to me. Now, with with some of these things, I mean, I I get that, but at the same time, uh, there are people that will pressure people to stay and like, you know, whatever. But I do encounter a lot of. I don't think you need this policy because I encounter a lot of players who just kind of show up and leave as they as they feel like, rather than actually sticking to a schedule or anything. Also, social pressure to participate in a shared activity is called human civilization. Yes, although these were probably come up with by anarchists. <laughs> yeah. All right, two more. Script change. Script change is when the uh, game master provides three cards that they place in the middle of the table with the rewind, pause, and fast forward symbols on them, like from an old VCR or, or DVD player or something. And so these people live in media. Like the only way they can interact <laughs> with these things. <laughs> is media <laughs> you're right oh my god so and at any time if a player feels uncomfortable uh and they want to like redo or change something that was done they can hit rewind and then pause uh then go back and change it presumably pause of course pauses the, the game and fast forward skips past uncomfortable scenes it's like playing a game but the, in a game but like it's like <laughs> playing a video game with like an action replay I'm just imagining, like, somebody hitting fast-forward and someone stares at them and hits rewind. And it's like, what do you do? <laughs> do they cancel well, each other out? Television is reality, right? It's like a like, time travel game, because you're, like, rewinding all over the place. <laughs> it's like Netflix. You know, we're, we're, yeah. just, we're just watching... We're just participating in our Netflix. We're not just watching it, we're well, participating. I mean, how far does this go? Like, if somebody, their character steps on a trap and, like, their, like, foot gets caught in a bear trap, they just hit rewind and they're like, I walk around it. Like, what's to stop them from doing that? I mean, in theory, like, they, the Game Master would say, well, that's not in the spirit of it, I guess, but... I no, you could just say, he... like, I watched my uncle step on a bear track. This makes me deeply untra traumatized and uncomfortable. I don't want to do that. At a Rewind. certain point, you can you can exclude the person from the group voluntarily. Not without the open door policy. <laughs> well, presumably you would have that. Everyone else leaves through the open door, leaving the Everyone person. else leaves and goes to the next door. <laughs> That's great. You know, you end up with a lot of these, uh, you know, the interesting thing to me about all of this really boils down to the point where you're looking at it and each and every single one of these is either about the production of movies, actual movies, or uh, it's the X card. Um, well, there's one more that I haven't covered yet that's uh, oh. my favorite. Oh, is this the consent flower? This is the support flower, a.k.a. the consent flower. Ooh. All right, Jack, I think you should implement this because it's just so good. Are you ready? Uh, uh, yes, go ahead. Okay, so the game master puts a card in the middle of the, the table, which has a flower drawn on it. And this flower has three petals, and one of them is green, one is yellow, one of them is red. At any point during the play, 
one of the players makes direct eye contact with the person they want to communicate their, their needs to and taps one of the petals on the flower. If you tap the green petal, it's requesting them to continue to go on with wherever the scene is going and telling them, I'm okay with this. If you tap the yellow petal, it requests that the scene should be kept at the level of tenseness or aggression that it's currently at. No need for escalation or de-escalation, just keep it where it is. But if they tap the red pedal, then it's a sign that the scene should immediately begin de-escalating. That is just a game mechanic. That's not even like a... That's not even like a thing. That's just like a game mechanic put on top of the game. The consent flower. Where have I seen this before? I feel like I've seen this somewhere before. Hell. Hell, yeah. Dr. Faustus, this is hell because I am here and wherever I am is hell. <laughs> I just want to know, like, what's the what's the limit? Like, if you your character's being tortured and you just keep tapping green, like, how far does the Game Master have to go? <laughs> well, uh, uh, th- presumably the Game Master can tap red on your green, <laughs> game like, right? Re- the Game Master <laughs> requests you to stop describing your character <laughs> losing limbs? <laughs> the answer is as far into my magical realm as you can go. <laughs> I still have teeth left. Keep going. <laughs> the people oh, that man. would play these games are those sorts of weird degenerate sex freaks. So, you know, this, uh, these sorts of things, I mean, it, it's really weird to think about the way they would do that. Like, you're, you're talking about this as a joke, but, you know, I could see that happening. I could see, like, a Reddit post, like, guys, I was running a session for someone and there was a torture scene. And then they kept pressing the green pedal on the consent flower. It was really weird. I didn't know what to do. Like, you could see that happening. Stop pressing the green pedal. Then you've got the virtue signal war between, like, whose consent takes precedence? How white were you? Which one was the female? Well, I mean, presumably that wouldn't matter. The the sex freak and that's... Well, okay, I guess if it was a dude and the game master was a woman. Exactly. I, I don't even exactly. know anymore, Exactly. Man. You got a woman of color running a game and the white guy's tapping green? That is problematic, sir. Well, maybe he... Well, if it's in a torture scene, he's aggressively submitting to her. So, like, is that, like, anti-problematic? No, like, he is asserting his dominance by inviting pain and daring her to do more. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man. But there was uh there was one more a uh an nth level uh Ooh. safety tool that I wanted to bring up which I found the nth level is this the n word pass that is fabled the... and spoken of? No, please, this uh, please do go on. Yeah, this is a uh, this is a blog post that was written by somebody about all of these safety tools. And this is a woman who has PTSD Never explains what her PTSD is from, so I can only conclude that she went to the grocery store and they denied her coupons. No, 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 no. She went to the local game store and she tried to buy some dice. And the local Warhammer 40k gamers, along with the <laughs> store clerk, started to chant, Old enough to bleed! Yeah, probably, yeah, that's, that's, that might be it. But uh, And every time she plays a game, she gets Vietnam flashbacks. <laughs> Flips the table, throws chairs. Did they say that in Vietnam? 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 Viet- Vietnam. Vietnam. <laughs> I don't know what that was. Uh, I don't, dude, I don't know. I wasn't there. <laughs> oh, okay. You weren't old enough to bleed yet. Gotcha. Exactly. Nor to right. breed, because I wasn't so alive. So this, this lady, this, this whammon, came up with the Luxton Technique. 
named after the GM of the game that originally instituted it. So, the Luxton technique involves pretty much every other form of safety tool combined together, including a, a an honest conversation of potential triggers beforehand to explain, uh, to identify them and to explain what they are and discuss every conceivable trigger or trauma with no social pressure. Then, in play, if a player encounters this triggering material, they can decide to talk about it with another player if they want to, and when they do, the other players have to listen. And, and additionally, once they start talking about it, the player that has this triggering trauma is given complete control over the scene. This is expressed in terms of a want or need, such as, and this is the example given, I'd like to play character name for this scene, and this can apparently include other people's characters, other players' characters. Or, quote, I need this to have a happy ending. Or, quote, I want this character to not be hurt right now. Or, quote, I need this character to not get away with this. Or, quote, by the end of play, this should not be a secret. Or, I need to stop play and get a drink of water. <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You, you can't just look at your, you can't just look at the boys and be like, hey, yo, guys, hold up, I gotta take a piss. You gotta be excuse me, I need to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Dude, the final one is even better. The final request is even better, ready? Or, quote, I don't have a specific request, I just wanted you to know. <laughs> what? You, have to, you can stop play just to let, let people know that you wanted to stop play. <laughs> I want to play. With, I want to play. I want to play this method now. I really do. Like, I really, really want to play this method. I 100 endorse this because I would have so much fun. Uh, Taps the green end of the consent flower. Then just be like, guys, can we stop play? I just really wanted you to know that I wanted you to know. And then like raise your eye, wiggle your eyebrows really weird, and like take your finger <laughs> off the consent flower and like wiggle your fingers in a really weird way, and, like retract it in towards yourself, and like give them all a really, really weird look. Like, back and forth. The first word out of the Game Master's mouth, you tap the red flower and just stand up and say, I need to stop playing, get a drink of water. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my, God. my mouth does not consent to be parched. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But just get get a load of what they're saying, right? Like, through this method, you can tell the Game Master, I need this to have a happy ending. I want this character to not be hurt right now. Your character, you're, I mean, like, if you're playing this with any sort of challenge in mind, your character's invincible. Because the Game Master just has to, is like a, just a minion to your, to your whims at that point. Yeah. I mean, but in some sense, it is a form of cooperative storytelling, but it's, it's a form of cooperative storytelling with no stakes. It's, it's cooperative fanfiction writing at that point. Well, no, it's cooperative Mary Sue telling. I mean, that that's mm. what I just said. Well, not all fan fiction is Mary Sue. Come yeah, on. but I, that's I just, the implication. Not, whatever. Your your fan fiction uh, biases are uh, are. Uh, I'm tapping the red flower on this one. Well, I'm gonna tap the green flower and cancel you out and keep going. Well, I'm hitting rewind and we're going back to talking about 40k. I'm going fast <laughs> forward. <laughs> well, it doesn't matter because if we fast forward, the 40k conversation is there too. So. I don't I don't understand any of this. 
We're playing not, Yu-Gi-Oh, except with weird liberal consent just, cards. Just use the open door policy <laughs> and leave. Oh, here's 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 one, <laughs> John. The open door policy. New idea for a for a game. The, the the game is completely freeform. The only mechanics are these weird like <laughs> like cards and things. So that's how you mechanically control the game. It's this weird meta game you play with people, and and we can call it like power process and humiliation ritual. Oh, this is beautiful. Power process. And humiliation ritual. It's like lines, lines, Luxton flower script door. <laughs> I, no, I'm just gonna, no, I'm just gonna call it. And and the game, the, the game is just comes in a box, and it'll come like dual packaged with Yugoslav, a game by Super Lutheran, right? We'll we'll, we'll make like a we'll make like a publishing house and sell these games, and you can get Yugoslav, and with Yugoslav comes, uh, comes <laughs> like humiliation rituals and power processes and in this game you are freeform telling a story about a mystical fantasy land and like there are all these different like uh cards but instead of like framing it in terms of consent we just tell the players exactly the bare bones of what this does mechanically to the story so like the rewind button the fast forward button the pause the green red yellow so you can the, the goal is to tell a story and then you set these people loose with this and you can see exactly how bad the social interactions get because of the mechanical enforcements of these things the only way to win is to use the open door policy and leave exactly well well, well, that's the that's the underlying secret to it right that's the yeah that's the thing i deploy my veil and i fade away to black and then i use the open door policy to sneak out no, no, you use your veil and then fast forward over the veil, but then but then mm. somebody could rewind to within the veil, so you'll have to use the veil again. But then somebody else takes control of someone else's character during the scene. Exactly. Oh. See, this this would be an incredibly interesting <laughs> role pl- like like game to play, but not yeah. for the reason they think. <laughs> right. <laughs> the the meta context of these things is almost more interesting than the uh than the actual sort of dumb virtue crap they're supposed to embody well the entire reason for all this is because they've been pushing for the whole we need more women in gaming and women need these protective tools because they can't just speak up well it's a, it's a system of control really i mean all of these are ways that a player can outside the rules uh, laterally control the way a, a cooperative storytelling session is going um it's a control system and it's nothing more nothing less like it's it's another form of linguistic control it, it, i mean we live in a society of linguistic control and this is just that extrapolated into our hobby more so than anything else well you know like like yeah yeah going back to that point I, so i i don't i mean like like we follow we follow people like borzoi and titus and all those guys like Speak i don't know yourself I, oh, <laughs> yeah oh, yeah whatever i i, I sporadically whatever. follow things occasionally <laughs> but 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 going but my point here though is that like it, it, i i've been thinking about this lately that that what if what if that's all like this is is like our fascination at their level at at their at their ability to control things and fig- trying to figure out the rules to the control and the underlying causes of that right maybe we're all just playing in a big larp well in some abstract sense society itself is a series of larps but 
that doesn't invalidate society, nor does it invalidate anything we do, because really you're like, oh, well, it's all fake, you just need to run in the woods, like, become Max Sterner, dude. Use the open door policy and leave. Yeah, leave society, man. Man, society's a cage. Yeah, but I think it's fascinating how how demonized people who figure out how the how the system of control operates like 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 how demonized they get. It's it's almost it's almost as if Well, that's a that's a mechanism of the system of control itself. If you if you have someone who can figure out how to reverse engineer the system of control, then they presumably pose some manner of threat to the system. And therefore, they have to be controlled or ostracized or mitigated in some way to protect the system itself. The system has to self-perpetuate. Like, you can't have a system like this that doesn't self-perpetuate. Fascinating. But the, the funny thing to me is that these earlier methods of these safety tools came out first. And the Luxton technique, that last one that I read was like a reaction to those earlier techniques. In fact, the first like two thirds of the blog post is a direct response to the X card lines and veils and uh, the consent flower because those safety tools were triggering her PTSD because the, well, the reason that she gave was the implication that uh, the X card just cancels play. And the idea of pretending that something traumatizing didn't happen was in itself traumatizing to her. See, and this is this is another way, like, the, the mechanisms of control must mutate to control more effectively. It's, so what he, she's doing is organically acting within this sort of system ideology. And she is re, she has come to sort of an implicit understanding that these methods of control are not effective enough, that there needs to be a more effective means of control in this sort of the the Luxton method or the Luxteen method I don't know how it's pronounced or spelled um, <laughs> is a more efficient means of control. You can look at it; it's more total or totalistic, and it's less totalitarian. Well, more totalistic. I wouldn't say totalitarian because the marks of its totalitarianism are not there. There is a physical X card. There is no physical Luxton card. It, it removes the um, it removes the physical reminder of the sort of control while also being more permeating. It's a, it's a, it's like the essence of self-censorship. It's quite incredible actually, from a social yeah, technology perspective. This is, this, this is really, this is really, uh, this is the, I'm, I'm completely in, in awe at their ability to do this. I mean, I, I looked at this woman's other articles and she wrote this one about how like people who make role playing games, role playing game designers who are white and male need to charge more money for their games because by putting out quality content at a reasonable price, they are pricing out people of blackness and gayness who are creating subpar games at higher prices. So that to me, this this is all just a an attempt to garner some sort of social credit and attention and power. Uh, no, I think that's just an at, like that's just an obvious part of her being part of sort of one wing of system ideology. Uh, in this case, the uh, the left wing of the system ideology, and she adheres to that. Um, and what she's doing there is is she's she's expressing she's purity spiraling in that instance to the benefit of the system ideology in this sphere. But in this instance, she's actually just helping to, to develop the control mechanism. 
I mean, it, it's it's all organic, and the thing about it is is these control mechanisms are very decentralized. Uh, the use of sort of invocations and words that are that are that mark someone as evil uh, to the outside, um, and these sorts of things aren't sort of centrally organized. There is no agency of calling people racist. There are some organizations, but then there are just a lot of loosely coordinated or not even coordinated, but loosely uh, laterally cooperative people that, that enforce uh, the right sort of thinking for the system. And she's she's taking part of that in our sphere, basically. And on the flip side, you have a CEO of racism. <laughs> yes, the CEO of racism who yeah. has been lost. He used to balance the races, right? Right, right. And then the uh and then the the certain the the gym nation attacked. <laughs> um just real quick, I'm going to give you guys each one opportunity to guess what color do you think this woman's hair is? <sighs> Frizzy? Is that no, a... color, color, I, color. I know that, but just guess one time for me. Do you know how many times I've edited out guessing games because you guys are terrible at guessing? Just yeah, one, let me just guess. Say a color. Let me guess. I will guess that she has purple, like that that half purple, half blue color. That the weird one that, that like they can't get okay. the purple right in the hair. You know, because her hair's black. Yeah. Jack, what do you think? I'm going to go. I'm going to go a little bit on the other side. I'm going to say red. It is actually. A perfect blue. So Mongoose wow. was closest without going over. Oh! Oh! Yep. Yeah! It is, and it's only <laughs> on the very top of her head, and it's about one and a half inches long. You're kidding me. No, I am not <laughs> kidding you. <laughs> Sounds like a Kool-Aid powder dye job to me. Oh, wait. I think this also... This woman might have been born a man, baby. Oh. Uh... I think oh, we have no. to abort. We have to abort. Oh no! Yeah. Jesus Christ. Did the did did some sort of blue monster just like take a crap on her head or something? What? <laughs> like the Cookie Monster? I don't know if we can say her anymore, guys. I don't. That's I don't know. that's I... a that's like that looks like something that came out of like a soft serve machine. It's like <laughs> blue food color, and they just plorped it on her head. Like it made that sound of a plorp. Do you guys remember the old troll dolls? Yeah. Oh she's... no! <laughs> <laughs> she's a troll doll. I think it is a she, actually. Uh, Are you sure? I don't know, man. Uh, I think a long time ago on this on this podcast, I said that like soy people don't have a gender; they're just androgynous. Right. I think this yeah. is right. that case where it's like it doesn't matter the fundamental essence of what gender this is; it has no gender. Okay, that's fair. All right. Yeah, we we, sh we we shouldn't even give it a gender. Doing that kind of, you know, it kind of you have it, to it, earn a gender, and this right. person has failed in that regard. Right. Exactly. Anyway, <laughs> that was a rabbit hole that I dug into live on air, folks. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, but sometimes it's good that you should dig into rabbit holes live on air. Oh, uh, by the way, this person is the one with PTSD who needs total control over the role-playing scene to feel good about role-playing. That makes sense. How does that make you feel? How would you feel sitting at a table with this person? Uh, uncomfortable. <laughs> Tap red, my dude. <laughs> I would feel the deep emptiness of 
the total control of the of Baudrillard's simulation on my soul. <laughs> well, Mongoose just doesn't feel. That's that's his problem. Yeah, I've so. I've felt all my feels. I have no more feels to feel. <laughs> I have reached the quintessence of despair. You're you're the you're the opposite of Wojak. Junko Anoshima is the only available waifu. At uh, this speaking point. of reaching the end, folks, I think we've hit our limit <laughs> <Yes>. on content here. <laughs> I agree. All right, all right. Thanks, guys, for tuning in this week. This has been another episode of Little Wars. Uh, you can find us on the Little Wars blog, which either you are listening to this on or you can find linked in the show notes. As usual, have a wonderful week or a couple of weeks, depending on how long we uh, take. And have some great gamer moments in the meantime. We'll catch you guys when we catch you guys. See you later. See ya! Jack, Jack, say, Jack, say goodbye. Please. Good, goodbye? Okay, now you can stop recording. I can? Can I? <laughs> I can hit, Don't tell I can me hit, you already stopped. I can hit the X? Don't tell me X. you've already stopped. No, I haven't stopped yet. It's okay. still going. I stopped recording like halfway through that, John, just so you know. Yeah. <laughs> I knew I was joking. I'm still recording right now, so I'm going to stop. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of Little Wars. For more traditional gaming autism, head over to littlewars.home.blog. That's littlewars, all together, no spaces, .home.blog. Have a great week and many epic gamer moments. That's a shame on my